we jump in today, I want you to understand how important you being present as a dad is, how important dads are. In fact, research shows us that when there is not a dad present in a young person's life or in, or in a family's life, that their children are more, four times greater risk of poverty when there's not a dad present in their life. They are seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager when there is no dad present in their life. 60% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 90% of felons grew up in a fatherless home. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists came from fatherless homes. And Dr. Warren Farrell recently quoted that of the six mass shooters in public schools in the 21st century, the last six, all those that happened in public schools, excuse me, in the school system in the last, you know, during this century, they were all from fatherless homes or had no father in their life. The role of a father is one of the most important roles that you could ever play in our society. In fact, when God is viewed throughout scripture, he is viewed as a father. He actually presents himself in our holy scriptures as a father. When Jesus was teaching us how to pray, he presented that image to us in Matthew 6 and 9 when he said, our father. He goes, if you're gonna pray, pray like this. Our father who art in heaven. Jesus wouldn't say, pray like this, pray to my father, you little guy. He said, you call on him as your father, the image of a father. Matthew 7, 11, he tells it to us like this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We are presented throughout scripture with the ideology that the sovereign God is a father figure, which is pretty unbelievable in comparison to what other religions, especially false religions, believe. For example, in Islam, Allah is mentioned 99 times, but never, ever, ever in the concept of a father. When God presents himself, he presents himself to us as a father. He sees us through the eyes of a loving, caring, concerned, Father. In fact, when God set up humanity and how society would operate, he gave, brought forth Adam from the dust of the earth. He brought out of Adam, part of Adam, he, he extracted from Adam, Eve. And then he told them to come together and make children. Now, I want you to think this through for a moment. And he created Adam, if you will, as the first father and Eve is the first mother and then their children and then their children would go on to have children and then they would become fathers and mothers and fathers and mothers and so forth and so on and he created a societal structure that are led by fathers and mothers as they have children who then become fathers and mothers who have children and this entire structure God set that up you just walked into it. You just were born into it and you didn't even realize. But imagine God could have done something else. For example, eggs could just pop up from the ground and humans could just come alive. They would have no connection to whatever birthed them, if you will. God could have just said people and they just could have all populated and not have any type of engagement as coming from a father and a mother. When a father and a mother come together, they create another being and that being then has the ability to create other beings and you see this on and on. God created fathers and mothers. God put this structure in place and so it always blows my mind when I live in a society that's so quick to try to destroy, if you will, the whole, the whole they call it a nuclear family. Their entire organizations that put in their and in, in, in their and in, in, in their plan of action that they want to dismantle the nuclear family. What they're saying is, and it's being pushed by demonic forces. What they're saying is, we don't want what God created. We want to do something else. But God created these positions of father and mother, 
and the father position is so important. For when fathers are not fathers, children do not have the sustainability to become who they're supposed to be. Morality is broken. When fathers don't stand in their rightful positions, we see families fall apart. We see the demonic forces able to literally shift society in the wrong places. And I would prepare, I would present to you today, the mess that we find ourselves in this nation is because fathers have been taken out of their positions. And I would say to you that it's time for you dads to know not only do we need you, but we want you. Not only do we want you and need you, but if you don't step into your position, we will lose what we know to be right. And that is the family of God. It's not just affected our society, it's affected the church. We see that many of the times here in the news media that we find the Spiritual fathers have gone awry and destroyed families. It is time like never before for us to stand dads in our God-given positions and be who God created us to be. And if, if you would just let me for a moment, I wanna take you down through the scriptures and just look at some of the dads in the Holy Bible. What I love about my Bible, what I love about my God is he never presents one side of who people are. What I love about the Bible is you see all of it. He don't just say, ooh, he was such a good brother. He said, ooh, he's such a good brother, but he has some messy stuff going on. That's all throughout these scriptures. So if you will with me, let's look at a couple of the Bible dads. We'll start with those that were absentee dads. Bible dads that were absentee. Let's start with Eli. Eli was a high priest in the Old Testament, a high priest. In other words, he was in charge of all the spiritual happenings that happened with the children of Israel, God's people. Eli was a top dad. If you, he is the spiritual voice of God to the people. God speak to him, he'd speak it to the people. He was running the group of people called Israel at the time, if you will. And Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They were two very rebellious sons. Eli was so important and so in charge of so many spiritual things that somehow in the presence, uh, in the process of being a great leader for the community of followers of God, he wasn't very good at being a dad. He was an absentee dad. And look what the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 22. It says, now Eli was very old and he heard, that, heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel, how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of the meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? The evil things that I hear from all of these people, know my sons, for the report is not good which I hear the Lord's people circulating. Moving on a little further down, and it says, but they would not listen to the voice of their father. Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they had two rebellious sins that they were committing against God and God's people. First thing they were doing, they, they were having sex with the women at the church that they were not married to. The second thing they were doing was they were stealing more of the offering than they should have been taking. Does that sound like anything that we've seen in modern times? So here are these ministers, they're adult men, and their aged father has to go and rebuke them. The Bible says, but they would not listen to him. And if you read out the storyline of what happens, that ultimately they end up in a situation where God literally removes his hand from them. These two men are killed. And when it's reported back to Eli, Eli falls down dead and cracks his neck and his chair. And he dies as well in the process. Because listen to me, if you won't correct it, God eventually will have two dads. If you won't deal with it, God has to do that at some point. See, Eli's problem was he probably was a good preacher. He probably was a good minister. He moved probably in the real power of God, but he had this deficiency, and that was he was absent in these boys' lives when he needed to be present. He was an absentee dad. You know how that thing went down. How did they get this rebellious? Let me tell you what happened. Somewhere along the line, mama said, hey, baby, I need y'all to go in there and clean up your room. And they said, we ain't doing it. And Eli just kept reading his Bible. I don't know if you've seen some of these TikTok videos or some of these videos. I have the funnest time watching these prank videos that these teenage boys have been doing to their dads over the last few months. It's hilarious. 
If you haven't seen one, let me describe it to you. So these boys, these teenage boys, you know, kind of 15, 16, you know, they're strapping big and they'll sit there and their mom, them and their moms will create this prank against dad. Typically the scene is that, you know, they're sitting in the living room, dad's sitting there in front of the TV, watching the TV, and mom's in the kitchen, the boy's sitting on the couch next to dad. And all of a sudden mama yelled from the other room, hey baby, I need you to come. Hey Billy, I need you to come and clean the dishes with me real quick. And that boy will go, and they're videoing the dad the whole time. He goes, no, I ain't doing it. And all of a sudden, you see the dad look over at him, and, uh, and, and, and he just keeps playing on his phone. They, these prank videos are all over the internet. You ought to see it. And, and, and so all of a sudden, your mom goes, no, listen, I need you to stop what you're doing and come help me right now. Listen, old woman, I ain't doing it. And all of a sudden, you see that dad jumps up and starts heading towards that boy like he's gonna beat the fool out of him. And then the kid goes, no, dad, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. That's, mom's in on it, mom's in. Mom comes running, no, baby, we just kidding. My favorite, though, is the black dads. It never gets to the second piece. Demontre, I need you to come in here and clean, clean this thing right here. I ain't doing it. That dad just picks up and starts, don't even ask, grabbing something, about to beat the fool out of this kid. And that kid don't even wait to explain. He just takes off running every time. Ain't no chance of explaining. We done started something we can't get out of. Let me tell you something. That's because those dads are present. They're present. They may not be the smartest and the brightest and got it all figured out in life, but they're present. And so what Eli wasn't, he wasn't present. So when them boys said, nah, we're not doing it, that rebelliousness became a part of their life. So by the time they were adults and they should have been taking care of the people, they were misappropriating the people because they were not, because they were not trained in what obedience looks like because they missed their moment when they were kids. Eli's absentness empowered rebelliousness. Just know that, Dad. If you're absent, you will empower rebelliousness. You say, I can't believe these kids nowadays. I was at the store, and I tell you, this kid flipped me off, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because somewhere in that kid's life, there wasn't a dad. That absentness created that rebelliousness. Let's look at another one. Samuel, for example. Now, Samuel is the first, or excuse me, the last judge of Israel. He's a very powerful man in Scripture. His mama got pregnant when she couldn't supernaturally. And she presented him to the Lord and literally dropped him off at the church when he was a little boy because of the miracle that God had given her. He said, she said, if God, if you'll give me a kid, I'll give that kid back to you. He'll belong to you. And so he drops this kid off at the church and says, I'm giving him back to the Lord. Y'all raise him at the church. This kid was raised at the church, but this gentleman was not a good dad. He was a great leader of Israel. He was a great man of God. He heard God's voice. He spoke to the people day in and day out. But let's pick up, if you will, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. It says, and it came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they were judging in Beersheba. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. They took bribes and did what? Perverted justice. They, they took bribes and they perverted justice. Have we seen any of that in our nation? They took bribes and they perverted justice. They were raised by a dad who was a man of God. But somewhere in the process, he was absent in some of their development. You know how that looked like. They were out in the yard playing football. Yard played football back in the day in the summertime, out in the yard, or kickball, or baseball, or something. And, they, and his boys were the boys that was like, we'll take him, 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 and him, and always stack the team. Always stack the team. And all the little nerdy kids, you know, trying to play against them, they beat them. Beat them up and down one side and the other. Never balanced the teams out fair. Never did it. Always, always, as they were kids, taking a little extra more than what they were supposed to. Never sharing with their brother or their sister. That was the kids they were. Come on, are you with me today? And there was never a dad to say, hey, 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 come here, boy. Give me that ear. Come here, let me explain something to you. You just put a team together out in the yard with all the big kids, and y'all just destroyed all these little kids. Do you know how foolish that is? You take up for the little ones. You understand me? You don't ever act like this. The reason why injustice is able to thrive in our nation is because men and women who are supposed to stand against it don't. And they got, that became a habit when they were younger because no one was there 
to say to them, that's not right. You're not going to do that with your little sister? Because if you do it with your little sister, you're going to do it with somebody else's sister one day. You're not going to act like this here? Because if you act like this here, that's going to become a pattern. And one day, you're going to be in charge of something, and you're going to be a thief, and you're going to be a robber, and you're going to be a narcissist, all because we didn't deal with it. Are you tracking with me today? Because he was an absentee dad. Because Samuel's absentness, he empowered injustice. You say, where does all this injustice come from? Because the people who had the opportunity to be present in that moment were absent. To train that in to the next generation. The Bible talks about how an entire generation of Israel did not know God. Because the elders who had all these crazy experiences with God never told them and trained into them. Let me tell you something, baby boy. God will do it when no one else will. Let me tell you how I bowed my knee and humbled myself to the God Almighty and how he's changed my life. And because they never did that and taught that next generation, an entire generation in Israel grew up who did not know God and went totally against him. We live in a society like that. Now, let me look at another one with you. And that is King David. King David is considered a man after God's own heart. David in the Bible, we tell stories about him killing Goliath. I mean, all these parts of his life that are, uh, that are you know, it's, you know in, here in Scripture where we can read them. But David had an absenteeness in his life. He wasn't a very good dad. In fact, if I could just give you a little bit of this, his first son, Amnon, his first son, Amnon, decided one day he was going to rape his half-sister, Tamar. And he rapes his half-sister. That infuriates Tamar's full brother, both same mom and dad. And uh, again, this is, this is David's kids. And so Absalom murders his half-brother Amnon and then flees for his life to another, to another nation. After a while, David calls him back and Absalom still has such a bitter root about the whole situation that at some point he decides to overthrow his own dad as king. And one of the ways he solidifies in this kind of battle moment that they have is he takes all of David's concubines and wives and he has sexual relationships with them to kind of seal his, if you will, rejection of his dad being king ever again. We also see that, of course, that battle came to an end. Absalom was killed. And ultimately, Solomon takes David's place as king. But Solomon, pay attention to the pattern, Solomon has a thousand wives and concubines. That's a mess. I want you to think about a thousand women trying to figure out what color to decorate the kitchen. This is a mess. What you've got is perversion in all of his boys, all of his kids, because David was absentee in the moments he should have been, come here, boy, what you looking at on your phone? Son, I love you, but that's going to destroy you one day. We're not going to have none of that up in here. You're better than that. Your little eyes don't need to be seeing all that. That's messy. We don't live like this world. We don't do what they do. We don't act the way they act. We don't talk the way they act, the way they talk. But because David was absent, what it created was David's absentness, empowered perversion. Why do we have such perverted generation that we have? Because... Dads weren't in their positions. They weren't there. What I love about the Holy Scriptures is that these men who were great men, who loved God, God shows that they had some broken spots in their life. But then he also presents us with some other dads throughout Scripture. And they may not have been some of the most popular, but they were there. And it's, it's proof that dads, all we have to do is be there. Not, we don't have to be perfect. We just need to be there. Be present. Here, present, I'm here. I'm here. I may not have all the solutions. I may not have all the answer, but I'm present. Let's look at a couple of these in the, in the scripture that were actually present. You know, Job, there's an entire book dedicated to this man's life, the book of Job, not Job. I know some of you thought that's how it said, but it's actually Job. And you're like, man, I'm looking for a job. I found a, found a book in the Bible. No, no, it, Job. And Job is this guy who, is phenomenal with his family. 
In fact, let me just read a little passage about him. Most people don't even know this about Job because most of what we look at is the tragedy that he went through when Satan came to destroy everything that he had. And look what it says, though, in Job chapter 1, verse 4. It says, and his sons used to go and hold a feast in, the house of e- uh, in a house of each one on his day. And he would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Let me explain what would happen. Job created this thing. Hey, our, my family's gotten older. They're, they're all got their own families. You know, they don't live in my home anymore. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna create times that we spend together. I'm gonna create some festivals and some feasts. He's the first one to start all of this. And we're gonna have some times where we get together and, and not a family reunion that happens every 10 years, but I'm talking about every couple months, we're gonna have these meals together. We're gonna have these feasts together. And then Job in the process of creating, look, I wanna be around my kids even though they're growing up, even though they're they're adults now, even though they have their own families, I'm going to create this space to stay in their life so I can say, hey, 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 let me explain something to you. Hey, bro, listen, man, you're being really hard on your son right now, dude. Like, I love you and, and as a good dad, but man, look, how you're treating that boy right now, you're going you're gonna to break his spirit. You don't need to be that hard on him. Hey, man, listen, you're letting that boy get away with that. That boy right there can't get away with that. You let him do that now, he's going to do that. Joe created the space and the family responded because he was present, he wanted to be present in their life. And then what he did was, he said, and not only that, not, not only do I need to help them like that, but what if in, in all of their times of hanging out and having parties and this kind of stuff, they curse God. So Job said he would wake up and he'd pray over them. God, I pray that they would have right relationship with you. He would pray over them, he would have engagement with them. Come on, let me, let me, let me pray over you. Let me lay my hands on you. Let me, let me anoint you because in case you've sinned against God, I don't know what you've been doing, but I, I'm standing in the gap for you. Job was present in his kid's life, not just when they were little, but when they were older. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. And so because Job's presence, it created two things. Job's presence, number one, empowered family unity because he was there. So we don't have no unity. Where are you? Sometimes you just gotta be there. It, it, it talks cheap. You just need to be there. You just say, hey, we're getting together. Come on now. We're just gonna get together. He empowered family unity, why? Because he was present. His presence created another thing, and that is he empowered righteousness with God. Let me tell you something, dads, you don't understand the power that you possess. You don't understand. As a dad goes, so goes the family. Years ago, we understood a statistic that if you got a kid to come to church and meet Jesus and get their lives right with God, it would, they, would affect, they would affect a little bit their family. I think the percentage was like 10% of that child would end up bringing their family to Christ. If a mom became a Christian, she would have like a 25% influence on the family and the kids, uh, her kids and her husband would come and come to Christ. But if a dad came to Christ, it was a 90% that their entire family would come to Christ. The power that fathers and dads possess and wield is unbelievable. Let me show you another guy in scripture. Is that okay? Am I helping you a little bit today? Say yes. And I wanna look at this guy named Philip. Everybody say Philip. And Philip was an evangelist in the New Testament, the book of Acts. We see he's just, he's one of the guys that when the people were struggling and the apostles said, we can't take care of everybody, find seven men that we can trust and we can empower them to minister to everybody too and help with their needs. Find seven men. Philip was one of them. And Philip began to kind of go forward and tell people about Jesus. People's lives got changed. When Acts chapter 21, verse nine, talking about Philip said, now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. That statement alone is pow, because we're talking about ancient times. You think women have had a hard time in the United States being considered valuable or, you know, considered leaders? Ancient world, women were property. Philip's got four daughters who are prophetesses. What's the prophet? They speak the word of God to people. The Lord told me to tell you this. You want to talk about an issue in their era that people wouldn't respect them? Let me tell you why those women were prophets. Because they had a daddy said, go ahead, girl, tell them what God says. If they give you any lip, I'll bust them upside the head. Go ahead, girlfriend. Be who God called you to be. I'm standing with you. Go ahead. You want to say something? You're going to hold that. Tell them what he said. Tell them what God said to them. Now, you got something to say, sir? Come talk to me. Come on now. They had the support and the safety of a dad who was present to be who they were called to be, which gives me these two thoughts, and that's this, Philip's presence empowered confidence of purpose. It's amazing 
to engage with men who didn't have fathers in their life growing up and the lack of confidence they have towards what God has for their life. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Grown men, I deal with this all the time. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. I'm just going to work. I don't know. I don't know how to keep my family. I don't know what I'm doing. The reason why, because they don't have confidence towards purpose. I wake up every day and I live out the purposes of God. I have such confidence. I have that confidence because I had a man who came into my life at the right age and we were getting saved together and Pop came alongside and he said, whatever God tells you to do, buddy, I'm right here behind you. Let's go, let's go. And now he calls me his pastor, but he's my dad. But I had a man. He was not, he's not my biological father. But Pop came into my life when I was a young man. We all got saved together. And by many accounts, I knew more about the word than he did. But he always encouraged me, chase after Jesus, son. Fulfill, I watched him. He quit his job. He went to the mission field. He and my mom left everything, followed Jesus. Every, and, it, and it encouraged me. We were talking the other day, you know, because he's aging a little bit, so he's a little worried about, you know, what he's going to leave me when he passes. And I said, Pop, I don't need you. You've given me everything I need. The greatest inheritance is not money or cars or houses. The greatest inheritance is I know what it is to serve God with all of my heart. Because you patterned that for me. Sir, you don't understand the power that you wield for your children and their children just because you love Jesus every day. You go to church as often as you can and you engage with the body of Christ and you just say, you know what? I don't have it all figured out, but I love God. I'm reading his word and I'm learning him and I'm getting better with knowing how to engage with him. I don't really know it all, but I know this, that he'll never leave me or forsake me. Son, let me just tell you a couple things I do know. Don't chase after those skirts, chase after Jesus. I did learn that, buddy. I can tell you what I've learned through the years. Don't give in to that. You don't need to take what God's willing to give you. You don't have to steal it from somebody else. If it ain't yours, get, let, let them keep it. And if they won't give you respect, that's okay, because God will give you respect. And he'll make that thing turn around. Are you still with me? Say yes. And then the last guy that I wanted to look at was the present dad, and that is Joseph. Joseph doesn't get the attention he should. Joseph and Mary. I mean, can you, I want you to think about this. Engaged men, men who are married, men who want to be married. I want you to think about you are engaged. Think about when you were engaged with the spouse that you have now. Think about she comes to you one night and y'all just been eating dinner and so excited, talking about, you know, she been talking about, you know, where we're going to have the, the, the wedding and, and what kind of flowers we're going to have and who all is going to be in the wedding party and all that. And one night after dinner, she says, I, I need to tell you something. Baby, what you need to tell me? Look, I just need to, need just, okay, just breathe for a second, okay? Because what I'm about to tell you is I need you to believe me. You need to trust me. Do you trust me? Yeah, baby, I trust you. You know I would never do anything to hurt you. Yeah, baby, I, sure, you would never do anything. And you know, you know, you're the only man that I have ever loved. All right, now you scare me. Well, I just need to let you know, I'm, um, I'm pregnant. I'm sorry, what'd you say? I, I said, I'm pregnant. You pregnant? Push back from the table. Is that right? Well, I know we ain't been together. So you want to tell me how this happened? Okay, so, so now, so I need you to hold on a second, okay? Let me just, mm, so, um. So the Holy Spirit did this. Come on, fellas, let's put this in real time. Like the, Holy, the Holy Spirit did this. I mean, you got to think right there like she crazy. Like, I mean, you, you got to think in natural terms what this man's looking at like the Holy. The, and and I, I talked to an angel and the angels, you talked to an angel. What was his name? What he looked like? Mm-hmm. And so the angel impregnated you? No, no, I did not sleep with an angel. Well, how in the world are you pregnant? The, the Holy Spirit did something. I don't know. My body, did, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm telling y'all, I, I, I love you. And I don't want you to please don't leave me. And you're looking at this woman like, are you out of your ever living mind? And the Bible says he, because he was a good man, a righteous man, started making plans to deal with this quietly so that she wouldn't be, that so, so that she wouldn't be humiliated. But he's he, he making plans, the Bible says, to put her away. Like, I'm gonna do this nice, but deuces, I'm out of this. I'm out. He's not planning on staying with her. 
until an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, hey boy, um, yeah, we did do this. <laughs> so he's like, for real? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that engagement? And so then, then, and then she's like, I told you I ain't do it. How you wanna treat a sister? Well, baby, you gotta admit, come on, that does sound kind of crazy. I know, but I told you I ain't never been with nobody. Yeah, but baby, come on, you talking about you pregnant? And this Holy Spirit, I ain't never even met the Holy Spirit. You talk about an angel? I never heard of no angels. That's from ancient days. Imagine that conversation. And then she gives birth to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, I want you to be that stepdad. Do you whip him? Boy, don't you? I'm sorry. I mean, I don't know. I mean, how you think that through? How do you handle that? You already like, you know, you in my house. I don't care if you ain't my biological kid. I will whoop you in my house. You're already having to balance that. You're not my daddy. All those blended families. And you're like, well, because if I was, I'm going to go to your daddy's house and whoop him from not training you right in my house, making a mess in my life. Can you imagine being, I just want y'all to, I want to put this out there so you can think this thing through. So he's, he, he's my hero. Because you know what he was? He was present for Jesus. How did Jesus learn to be a carpenter? How did, Joseph. How did Jesus learn how to treat women? Joseph. How did Jesus, because he's 100% God, but he was 100% man. And so the Bible says he was tempted with everything that we're tempted with, but he just didn't fall to it. Because he didn't have a sin nature. He wasn't naturally sinful like us. He wasn't born in sin because he's God in the flesh. But Joseph had to manage this. He had to raise him up. Joseph was present. I don't know about you, but I might have been like, God, that's your problem. That's your boy. I don't, I ain't worried about that. I don't know how to deal with that. But Joseph didn't do that. He was present in Jesus' life. And because he was present, let me tell you what happened. Joseph's presence brought safety because Herod decided he was going to kill any kid that could potentially be the Messiah. And he put out an edict to kill every. And Joseph said, I'm going to take my boy. He's God's boy, but I'm taking this boy and I'm going to save him and my wife's life. We're getting up out of here. And he went down to Egypt. Joseph's present. If you take Joseph out of it and Mary's trying and he runs off because she's talking about the Holy Spirit did it and the angel talks to him, he says, forget it, I don't trust any of that. He walks away. She's by herself. How in the world is she escaping that all of the, of the police force and the FBI and all, think about who, who Herod had. He's in charge. He's got all of his people out there looking for babies and killing babies that were over a certain age range. But Joseph Joseph is in the moment. He is present. He takes that baby, he takes his wife, and he goes off somewhere else where Herod cannot get to that kid and kills it. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. When a dad is present, it brings safety to the house. A present dad. Doesn't have to be the greatest dad, don't have to be the smartest dad. Present in their life. You know what I do all day long with my kids? I'm there. I, at halftime, they talk, I, how do you co-sign and sign? I have no idea. That's what Google's for. But I'm sitting here and ask your mama because she knows everything. But I'm present. Everybody say present. I'm present. I'm there. I'm not running off, no matter how hard it gets. Here's the second thing that Joseph's presence gave, and he gave, and that is he gave Jesus a skill, as already mentioned, carpentry. See, dads, I need you to understand something. I hope you catch this today. That when you're present, you bring security to us. When you're present, you bring protection to us. When you're present, you bring validation of our purpose and our calling. Just because you're there. Just because you're a rock that can't be moved. See, when you're present, dads, pre-dads, surrogate dads, when you're present, you then establish and maintain the order by which God established the family unit, thereby society on the earth. When dads are extracted from their position. I, I see it like this. I see dads as like the quarterback. They don't have to be an all-star. They don't have to be Mr. Tom Brady and outdo everybody. They just need to be in their position. You can have an amazing, amazing, amazing dad. Or you can have a dad, and you may be just a normal dude, everyday guy, doesn't have it all figured out. God will surround you with phenomenal running backs, 
phenomenal wide receivers and great You just need to be in your position. Just be in your position. If you're in your position, we win. When you're not in your position, and we don't have a quarterback, which is how God established it, then we lose. And why we're losing in our society today is because we don't have dads. They've been taken away. You say, what, what do you mean? I, well, I quoted that in the earlier. What we're seeing, teen pregnancies, suicides, six, the last six shooters did not have present dads in their life. I was wrong, gun laws. And well, that's, that's, there's some stuff we need to work on. But let's back up and let's get dads in their positions. Years ago, the Cedar Hill ISD, we got a new superintendent. When he came in, he looked around, he goes, I'm concerned that we potentially have some difficulties on the rise in our school district. So he researched and he found this national organization called All Pro Dads. He brought their representatives in. He said, could you start an All Pro Dads in Cedar Hill? They said, we'll help you do it. And they made a call out to any dad that had a kid in our school district here in Cedar Hill. Any dad that would come and help and come to a meeting. And in that meeting, they signed these dads up to just be at the schools. They didn't give them guns. They didn't give them authorities to power drive any kid who was being rebellious. They didn't give them them anything. Just be. Shake hands. Walk the hallways. I'll see you, boy. I'll see you. All right, all right. Hey, hey, what you doing? Come on now, you better than that. They just asked them to come be, to organize themselves and be, everybody say present. Be present at the school. These men rallied around our school district. My kids were in the district at the time as students. I would pull up on a rainy day, kids jumping off of buses. I'm gonna drop off my kids and I'm letting them out for school. And these all pro dads be standing there with umbrellas, throwing open the door. Mr. McCain, good to see you. How's your boy doing? All right, come on now, let's go, Cohen. Let's get in here, buddy. I, I dropped that kid off knowing that that kid was gonna be okay. They brought safety and security to me because they were present. Say it again, they were present. The entire school district shifted because of all pro dads, shifted. Fights, we weren't having fights anymore. We didn't have a big issue, but they were starting to rise. Killed it all. Teen pregnancies, shifted. We didn't have more counselors than we ever did. These men weren't walking around, you know, I need to talk with you. I need to tell you something. They're just present. I don't think you get the power of an absentee dad. I don't think you understand the power of a dad who's just present. It's a royal position given by God. God set it up. Humanity didn't set it up. God set it up just by being present. And I would just like to say this. Every demon in hell, dads, have tried to extract you from the equation. It's been the very plan, like I said earlier, of entire organizations to remove the authority that God gave you as the head of the wife, therefore the head of the family, to be that solid rock for your family unit. It's been the entire culture, it seems, recently to blame everything on men and dads that have gone wrong in society. That's not what this message is, just the opposite. I want you to know how God made you, why God made you to be who you are, and the need that we have for you to be the dad that you're called to be. Not just for our families, but for our societies. There was a season I didn't have pop in my life. And my mom said, I gotta do something with this kid because he's getting in trouble every day at school. I was that kid. I was, you, those first and second grade teachers like, yep, he'll be in jail. He will be incarcerated. I would have been too, because I didn't have anyone to tell me that's the line and you're crossing it. Not, not anyone I respected. And this man across the street from my grandmother, we lived with my grandmother for a season. And this man, one day he saw me out playing in the yard. He said, come here, buddy. Went across the street, never forget this. He goes, I need my grass cut. You look like you need to make some money. I was probably seven years old. He said, I'll pay you $10 to cut my grass. I said, well, I don't have a lawnmower. He goes, I'll let you use my lawnmower. His yard was pristine. He had always cut his grass. But he recognized there was a single mama 
who was living with her mama. And there was a little boy who didn't have a daddy. He became a surrogate dad, if you will. And he brought me over. I didn't know how to run a lawnmower. I was seven years old, eight years old. He started showing me how to run the lawnmower. I messed his yard up so bad. That man was, I'm telling you, his wife was like, what are you doing? There was an era back in the day when men understood that not only did they need to be dads for their own children, but they needed to be dads for other people's children. They would take that responsibility. They'd become coaches. I had a coach in that time frame who took me under his wing, Coach Russian, big old heavyset gentleman, chewed tobacco. He'd take me home from practice. We riding in his old beat-up truck, and he'd say, Now, Adam, I want you to know something, son. You've got a lot of energy. He said, but if you don't use that in the right way, you'll be destructive. Never forget that. Eight-year-old, stuck in my head. Had these other surrogate dads before Pop could get to me that came into my life. We need dads like we've never needed. And I know every demon in hell has stood against you being in your rightful royal position. We need, your wives need dads beside you. Children need dads in the home. Single moms need dads to come alongside. Surrogate dads, you young men who don't have kids yet, we need the pre-dads to run in their rightful position as dads. It's time, like never before, to stand against the wave of destruction to remove dads from their royal position. And so today, here at Hill City, we'll do a little bit of family business for a moment. We're going to make a commitment to you, dads, pre-dads, and surrogate dads. In fact, as I call out the commitments that we make to you, I want all the women, all the children, all the young people in the room to say yes if you agree to this commitment with me. The first commitment we want to make to all you dads, pre-dads, and surrogate dads, number one, is that we promise to support your leadership. The reason why we have absentee, I'm convinced the reason why we have absentee dads because no one supports their leadership. I don't think they want to run away from their wives and children. I don't think they want to run away from society. I just think they don't feel supported. They say, we're going to do it like this. No, we ain't. You get that enough times, you're like, well, fine, deal with it yourself. I think that's what we're really dealing with. So dads, I need you to know, dads, pre-dads, surrogate, we commit as your church to support your leadership. Your families here today are saying yes to support your leadership. We know you're not gonna always get it right. We commit to support your leadership. Here's a second commitment we make and promise we make, and that is we promise to wait patiently while you're trying to hear from God. Ooh, the ladies was soft on that one. Pastor. Ooh, pastor. Ooh. He just can't see it. Oh, Pastor, woo. Too late, you said yes. See, you gotta understand God made him that way. Because at the end of the day, he has to give an account. You really don't have to. He has to stand before the Lord and say, yeah, Jesus, yeah, yeah, that's what we did. It was my, at the end of the day, it was my call to make, and I made it. So what happens is when you carry that kind of pressure, those of you that are CEOs, those of you that have employees under you, you understand that when you make a wrong decision, it affects everyone. My wrong decisions doesn't just affect Adam and Jamie and and, and my children, the McCain kids. It affects you. Like my pastor did what? So it it takes me a little longer. Like, hold on, let me just pray a little longer on this one. Like, I don't, I don't really know if that's what we Jesus, you're going to have to speak to me right now. My God, my God, my God. Because what was easy decisions to make 20 years ago are not easy decisions to make now. Because culture has shifted so much. I mean, we make a decision. If I say something goofy now, your cousins are texting like, I was watching your pastor. He's crazy as a loon. You heard what he said? Like, but he ain't mean it that way. Well, that's how it sounded to me. 
And so we commit, we promise. We promise to wait patiently while you're hearing from God. And that's gonna be hard. Here's the next promise we make. We promise to stand with you when you fail. Ooh, let's try that again. We promise to stand with you when you fail. Last year, we had Jamal Miller come and minister to you. Anybody remember Jamal? He's a phenomenal man of God. Jamal shared openly and publicly and gave permission for it to continue to be shared. That he and his wife had been married for about a year or so and he was really struggling with pornography. He might even would have said that he had a porn addiction. He's a pastor on staff. He's a youth pastor, but he's a pastor nonetheless. They're struggling financially. They're starting to have their family, and he's struggling. And he's been praying. He's, going, he's gotten counsel. He just, it's just this thing that just won't let loose of him. The Lord speaks to him and says to him, go tell your wife. And he said, that is the devil. Lord, I'm not telling my wife she'll leave me. She, she can't stand. She thinks I'm a man of God, and, and if she knows that I have this difficulty, it'll create insecurity and doubt in her. And not only that, but he had counseled people who had split up because the husband had been struggling with something and the wife couldn't take it. So he said, Lord, I, I'm not doing it. Lord worked him over for weeks until he finally said, okay, but you just need to know this is... And he went and he sat down with her and he testified. And Natasha stood here and told, told, told the story. I, she actually told the story in one of the meetings that I was in with him, Natasha, his wife. She said, he came to me, and he said, I'm struggling with porn, and I can't stop it. I love you. I don't want to hurt you. And she said, she looked him in the eye, and she said these words. Your struggle is my struggle. Your brokenness is my brokenness, because we're one. And we, we will overcome this. And I will stand beside you. I will stand over you, and I'll shoot off every enemy while you're recovering from this great wound. He said what it did for him, the liberation that, that gave him to be the man, to be the dad, to be the husband he was called to be. He said in that moment, he said he felt as though he became a giant in that moment. Things shifted in that moment that he said it's almost impossible to understand. He said all of a sudden, their business ideas started coming to him. These things exploded. Guys, they are buying commercial property. They are ministering. They just moved to Dallas. Their family's phenomenal. And he points back to the moment that his woman stand by your man. When she stood by him and all of his, sorry, I had a little old school. When she stood by him in his pain and his suffering and his brokenness and his failure, he said that caused him to be the man he was supposed to be. Listen to me, sirs, dads, pre-dads and surrogate dads. We, your church, will stand by you. When you fail, we'll stand around you so the vultures can't get to you. This is a safe place called Hill City to grow to be healed, be transformed. This is a place, and that's what church is supposed to be, where you can just be real with your failures and your strengths and grow out of them. But you need to know that we stand with you so you can be the dad that is present. Here's the next one that we want to commit to. You still with me? Say yes. We promise to correct you when you're wrong. <laughs> oh my Jesus. Y'all heard that online? Mansfield, did y'all hear that? Oh Jesus. That one came way too easy. Yes, sir. Yes, we will. We'll do it right now. What you want? I got a list, Pastor. Can we go through it? <laughs> Listen to me. Nobody grows and matures if they can't be corrected. Got one of my family members sitting here today. I love him so much, and he was a professional baseball player for a season, and Mace told me that he's, he's, he had a season he's been coaching. He's, just, he's been working with a particular young man who just got, um, who's just got signed to go to uh, A&M, right? Is that where he's going? Cor yeah, 
to be a pitcher. And this man said, thank you because you made me who I am. And he, we were talking about it. I just told him, I said, bro, you're an amazing coach. You can see greatness in people and pull it out. And this guy told him, thank you because you corrected what I could not see. Any man who cannot be corrected is not really a man. Correction is love. I just wish my wife didn't love me so much. She loves me way too much. In fact, I'm going to write a sermon about that. But I, I need you to understand that for you to stand in your rightful position as a dad, you got to also be willing for us to say, hey, can I just point out, this, this might not be a good direction for us. Because if you don't listen to your co-pilot, you're going to run us into the side of a mountain. That's why they always have a co-pilot. Like, hey, uh, this thing right here says there's a mountain coming up. I don't see a mountain. Is your window small and narrow? Here's the fifth and final that we commit to you. And that is, we promise to encourage you towards greatness. Y'all yeah. have heard me say this, but a couple years ago, one of the little guys that my wife dated, she was in our youth group back in the day, and she dated this little guy, and She was scrolling through Facebook, and she was showing me some things about his life, and I was like, mm-hmm. You glad you married me, ain't you? I said, uh-huh, because see how great I am? And she looked at me, and she said, oh, if I married him, he'd be great too. She has encouraged me to greatness. Sweetheart, do you know what you're doing by not encouraging him to greatness? You're causing him to be absentee. He knows he's a failure at things. You don't have to remind him every time. Encourage him to greatness. I'm the man who I am because my family has told me you can do it. Swing for the fence, Dad. We're with you. Go for it, baby. Sell our house. Plant a church. I'll stand with you. We'll do it. We can do this. I won't leave you by yourself. You sure? We live in large right now. We're going to go plant a church in Cedar Hill. Are you sure that's God? Yeah, baby, God told you to do it. Okay. Let's do You sure? I want all the dads, pre-dads, and surrogate dads to stand up.